Hey folks, this is Pastor Darrell Bailey. We want to welcome you to our church and our family. And for the next few minutes, we're going to be taking the Word of God and sharing the Lord's blessings with you. We're located at 68 Lepford Lane. Come on and be with us. Man, I'm going to tell you, the Lord is good to us all. And I hope and pray that you can come and join us. God bless you. Amen. Thank you for tuning us in tonight for our Sunday night message. Amen. As we continue on in our series, New Heart, New Spirit, from the book of Ezekiel. Here, uh, September the 25th, 2022, the 29th of Elu, 5782. Now, tonight, this is the last day of the year. Tomorrow, we'll start 5783 of the Hebrew calendar. And so, this is a very significant time because as we start out with Rosh Hashanah and Tishri, Tomorrow, we better be praying and looking at things and maybe something may come to heart for us. We'll be talking about the four clear signs of God's coming judgment out of a a new heart, a new spirit from the book of Ezekiel. God desires to change our hearts for his glory. Ezekiel 36, 26 says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you and I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. For the lost, this change is repentance and a new heart. For the believer, an encouraged heart to continue even when serving God is not easy. This series tells the story of Ezekiel's ministry, examining how this book is relevant to every believer, born-again believer today. For those of us who have grown complacent, are cold in our walk, A new heart, new spirit outlines how God desires to bring us closer to him. We're in the days of Ezekiel. We're in the days of Ezekiel. And and so as we look and realize that uh, we're going to be talking about Ezekiel chapter 4 verses 1 through 17 and Ezekiel chapter 5 verses 1 through 17. In verses 1 through 17 of Ezekiel chapter 4, we're going to talk about some war games that Ezekiel is going to act out. And then in Ezekiel chapter 5, we're going to talk about how that uh, there's a shave and a haircut coming. <laughs> now, in Ezekiel chapter 4, God calls Ezekiel to play war games and cook in unsanitary conditions in order to visually demonstrate the plight of the rebels that are in Jerusalem. Praise God, we get to use uh, 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 wonderful times to have a kitchen that's clean. But these are times that are coming that they're going to have to cook some things and use some things in some dirty kitchens. They're going to have to play war games. When we get to chapter 5, God's going to command Ezekiel to visually demonstrate how severe the destruction of Jerusalem is going to be. And he reinstates that he's just caused, he has a just cause to judge all of these people. Now, as we look and realize that uh, all of the things begin to change. Because in 597 B.C., Jehoiakim was taken captive. Jehoiachin reigns three months and Zedekiah, Zedekiah follows Je- Jehoiachin as king of Judah. The second group of cap- uh, captives, Ezekiel, are taken captive with this group, the second group, as you read over in 2 Kings chapter 24, verses 8 through 20. And although Ezekiel was taken captive in 597 B.C., Ezekiel's prophetic call and ministry did not begin until 593 B- B.C., and so as we look and realize that we're looking at the reality of God in these introductory chapters on Ezekiel's call to center on the vision of the character of God. That's what we talked about. The wills, the sovereignty of God, uh, the angels, uh, the faces that we begin to see, amen. And so here in uh, chapters 1 through 3, We talked and we saw the reality of God. It's real, praise God. But then in uh, chapter 4, all the way, when you get to chapter 
32, we're going to see the reality of judgment. The first two-thirds of the book contains judgment messages that announce the fall of Judah and the destruction of Jerusalem. And so, uh, as a, uh, an introduction and as we go forward, we begin to realize that uh, some of the things that God is going to let us do, amen, uh, as we go forward. Praise God as uh, we look and begin to realize that God uh, is better to us than we are our own selves. And so, in reality, we see that God is going to do a lot of things. The prophecies directed at the destruction of Judah and Jerusalem and the coming judgment against them because the end result is going to be a terrible sin. Now, Ezekiel's ministry, it began with a special series that of messages focused on God's coming judgment. Uh, Ezekiel was an exile in Babylon who had been called to minister to his fellow Jewish exiles. And with any exiles that were held captive by foreign powers, Ezekiel's audience was discouraged over their hardships and their sufferings. And so they longed to be set free and allowed to return to their homeland more than anything else. They wanted to hear a message of hope. America needs to hear a message of hope. We don't really believe that those that are in the White House were really the ones that were called. We believe somehow or another some deception took place because they're not the ones that we voted for. And we don't believe that there was somebody crazy enough to vote for them. But we want to hear a message of hope. But the Lord knew that what these people in, in Israel really needed to hear was truth. And the Lord raised up Ezekiel to preach the truth of what lay ahead for the people if they continued to live wickedly and to worship false gods. We've got people today and through the last years, uh, it doesn't matter what your political party, they've sold America out. They've sold our property and everything else and our secrets over to the foreign Chinese and the Russians. I don't care what they say, we've been sold out. That's why we don't have what we have today. And it's going to get worse. But when the church is raptured out of here, you better look out. Every last one of y'all going to be looking for an exit sign and you ain't going to find it. You're going to go through the days of Ezekiel. And so the Lord raised up Ezekiel to preach the truth of what lay ahead for the people if they continue to live wickedly and to worship false gods. It's coming for America. Coming to America. Ezekiel. Ezekiel delivered some of the message in this series as a, a, a play, as an action a sermon that began to depict God's judgment. He delivered others through sermons as well. But in every case, he clearly explained the reasons for the judgment as we read the Word of God. Here we see these series of messages of coming judgments of Four clear signs of God's coming judgment, amen, that are going to be in Ezekiel chapter 4 and Ezekiel chapter 5. Both chapters have 17 verses. A message on the end uh, as we go forward and, and begin to realize what God is wanting to do. That we see uh, that uh, there is a, a clear result of a terrible sin. We see that every day in America, how much more the morals and the standards that used to have mean something in America, they're depleted, they're gone. Uh, our youngins haven't been taught it, and they have been, uh, their minds have been hijacked by all of the political, give me some free money. Somebody hijacked their minds and say, let's just stay at home and get some free money. Their minds have been hijacked. God help us in America today. Yeah, they're hijacked. I don't care what kind of morals mom and dad might have taught them. Their minds have been hijacked by this leadership that's coming out of the White House and everything else. But someday God will judge the earth. Some people deny the fact, but secular humanists believe that this world and scientific technology are the summit of human existence. Atheists deny that there's a supreme being who will bring perfect justice to earth and execute judgment upon people. Unbelieving philosophers and agnostics say that God may or may not exist, but that if he does, he cannot be known with absolute certainty, and therefore he may or may not be a supreme being who will execute judgment in this world. Well, then that leaves the greedy and the covetous materialists out in America today that believe that this world offers too many opportunities to accumulate possessions and attain positions of power and fame to worry about the existence of a supreme being or a coming day of judgment. And then you also have those pleasure-seeking 
immoral people that say that too many bright lights and gratifications of the flesh to give up in order to escape some future day of judgment that may or may not come upon the earth. No matter what people believe, God does exist and he rules the universe out there tonight, People's Valley. He lives in a spiritual world in an unseen dimension of being that is incorruptible and the very home of God is eternal and endless, never deteriorating nor decaying. And from it, God created the physical material world that we have today. And he created human beings to inhabit it because he wanted creatures with free will who would voluntarily choose to love him and fellowship with him. And although he knew that some would reject him, he was willing for unbelievers to face his judgment in order to have the love and the fellowship of those who would believe in him, praise God. And so I thank God Ezekiel began this public ministry with four action sermons, as we said earlier. But I thank God, although that God knew that some would reject him, he was willing for unbelievers to face his judgment in order to have the love and the fellowship of those who would believe in him. In his love, he's not willing that any should perish. He wants all people to be saved and live with him eternally. And so he is patient with mankind right now. But his patience has a limit. The day is coming when he will put an end to this corruptible, sinful world I'm talking not about America. I'm talking about the entire world. And in that day, he will create a totally new universe, both a new heavens and a new earth. And in the present scripture, God calls Ezekiel to pronounce a coming judgment on Jerusalem and Judah. Remember that Ezekiel is an exile in Babylon and that his primary audience is his fellow Jewish exiles. Their hearts, ding, 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 long for the day that they would be set free and return to their native land. But the last message that they wanted to hear was God was going to destroy their nation and its captable Jerusalem. Nevertheless, they desperately needed a warning. The people were guilty of a horrible sin and God sent his prophet to warn them to either repent or face the coming judgment. Keep in mind that the people's hearts were hard, so stubborn against God that they refused to listen to the word when it was preached. Sounds like America today. Man, Ever since this uh, uh, COVID and pandemic, people just forgot about church and don't even want to come back. So the Lord instructed Ezekiel to use a dramatic skit to get the message across to the people. I wonder when God's going to act out. I believe he's already doing some enactments. When he uses the climate, the weather, when he gets people's attention, it's the only way that he knows how to get their attention. It's the same way with Ezekiel and with the nation of Israel. When Ezekiel symbolically acted out God's message, the people were bound to pay closer attention to God's word and his warnings. And the present scripture is the four clear signs of God's coming judgment in chapter 4 and in chapter 5. The first thing that we see is the sign of Jerusalem being attacked and being besieged in verses 1, 2, and 3 of chapter 4. Here is where the war games began. And so God and Israel, they had a covenant relationship. God always keeps his portion of the covenant. Israel did not keep theirs. And so few have been asked to do more and give more in communicating God's message. One of the most difficult tasks in every generation is convincing people that they're sinners. Utilizing a brick, some dirt, and sticks, Ezekiel made a model of a siege that was coming against Jerusalem. Mm. Through these various objects, he set up fortifications around the city so that nobody could get in or get out. He built a ramp for scaling the walls. He provided battering rams for breaking down the gates and the walls. Imagine how shocked the people were when Ezekiel's face became hard and resolute and he placed a flat iron plate between his face and Jerusalem. And the the iron plate symbolized the wall that stood between God and his people. He could no longer look on them with an approval and with a blessing. It's possible for people to rebel against God such a long time that all God can do is allow them to reap the consequences of their own sins. I'm preaching it tonight to America. And they knew the Israelis 
the, the nation of Israel. They knew the terms of the covenant and they knew that God had sent prophets after prophet to rebuke their idolatry. Uh, you can read about it in Second Chronicles chapter 36, verses 11 down to verse 21. Amen. Ezekiel was to take a tile or brick and write upon it. And writing plates were common material during that time in Babylon. Many had been found by archaeologists. The common size was around 14 by 12 inches, and Ezekiel was instructed to draw the city of Jerusalem upon that plate. He then was to construct walls and defenses around the city. He was to take some dirt and build mounds of a siege works or forts all around the brick that represented Jerusalem. Yeah, he was playing war games. And then he was to build ramps of dirt up to the brick, use sticks and rocks to set up camps against it, and put in place the battering rams that would be used to break through the gates. The enemy was depicted by soldiers, battering rams, siege enemies that would destroy the city. And this was to illustrate to the people what was going to happen to Jerusalem in the future. It was a model of destruction to come. Look at it, America. The brick, the tile, the battle, the bed, the iron pan were object lessons to illustrate truths to God's people. These object lessons of the prophet would create a curiosity in the people's minds as he implemented God's instructions. But the truth of the matter is God wanted us to be curious about the word, to reach out to its truth. And when we fail to do this, this is the new heart. This is the new spirit I'm talking about right now. You see, the truth of the matter is God wants us to be curious about his word. He wants us to search out his truth. And when we fail to do this, we drift from the Lord or we do not know him at all. And so it's sad today in America that the, the object lessons were pictures for the people of dire circumstances that were yet to come to the nation. They reveal to us that God wants us to know his word. He wants us to know his warnings. He wants us to know the consequences of sinful living. And for these reasons, he makes his message simple and clear. We're going to play some war games. And when you read the Ten Commandments, you find that they're not complicated. They're not difficult to understand. And when you read the gospel, you'll find that its message is very simple. It's easy enough for a little child to comprehend. Salvation is by faith in Jesus Christ. And Paul said in 2 Corinthians 11.3, But I fear lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtility, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. If you're a Christian and... If you take time to study God's word, the Holy Spirit will teach you the truths of the scripture. He'll give you the understanding if you will rely upon him and take the time to search the scriptures. John 5, 39 says, Search the scriptures for in and they think that you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. 2 Timothy 2, 15, Study to show thyself approved in God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Hey, that's quick, but can you listen? Can you hear that? Can you get it? Can you understand it? John 14, 26 tells us, but the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name. You know what? He said, I'll send it in my name, praise God. He shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Now, this message may not be heeded today. Maybe somebody will listen to this when... uh when everything breaks loose in the tribulation, if you're seeking some basic, helpful teaching tools, because Ezekiel rode out on a towel and he began to play some war games. Boy, I'm going to tell you, just, just go on the Amazon and get you some life application study Bible. Get you some King James Bible commentary. Get you some strong concordance, amen. You'll be able to understand the word of God because the city of Jerusalem would be broken and damaged by that siege to come, amen. And so what did we read? I thank God. The Bible says, You also, son of man, take a clay tablet, lay it before you, betray it uh, as a city, Jerusalem, lay siege against it, build a siege wall against it, heap up a mound against it, set camps against it also, and place battering rams against it all around. But I thank God that he tells us, in uh, verse 3, he says, Moreover, take thou unto thee an iron pan and set it for a wall of iron between thee and the city and set thy face against it and it shall be besieged and thou shalt lay siege against it. This shall be a sign to the house of Israel. The city of Jerusalem would be broken and damaged by the siege that was to come against it. Why was the destruction coming in the first place? It was because of sin 
and disobedience of God's people. Do you hear me, America? Do you hear me, People's Valley? Hey, listen, break your relationship with God and you break and shatter your life. You're not going to be happy if your relationship with the Lord has been stained. If you've drifted away from it, Jerusalem would be broken. And eventually the hearts of the people will be broken and turned back to the Lord. And David said, hear me when I call, O God, of my righteousness. Thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress. Have mercy upon me and hear my prayer. God uses brokenness to enlarge us. The word enlarge, it means to broaden, to open the door. And the trials from brokenness can develop or broaden our character and teach us important insights from Scripture. They can help us to open the door of our hearts to the Lord so that He can work in us. New heart, new spirit. Mm. God uses our distress to knock off the rough edges in our life. Amen. He opens the new doors of opportunity, growth, future ministry, as we will see in a few minutes that the humility that comes from brokenness lifts us up to a new level of spiritual growth. Times of breaking are difficult times for us, but Job and David were men who were both broken by the Lord and they went on to do great things for the Lord. And so, each and every one of us, can you relate to these two men? Has your life ever been shattered like a glass bottle, a broken bottle that is useless, worthless, forgotten, and cast aside? Have you ever felt that way? Do you feel like this right now tonight? And if so, I want to encourage you by saying that there are blessings from brokenness. And as a shepherd breaks the legs of a rebellious lamb in order to keep it close to him, God breaks America. He breaks us sometimes to keep us close to him. God does not break us to impair us, but to improve us. And as the ore is broken by the miner to get to the gold, God breaks us to bring the gold out in us. Beloved, God also breaks us to bring out the best in us. And if you take your problems to the Lord... That's normal. If you give them to the Lord, that's spiritual. God allows us to be broken so that we might give our burdens to Him and trust Him with everything. He brings good out of our brokenness. Amen. Whoa, thank God. Boy, I thank God. Thank you for that salvation. Thank you for bringing uh, the light when you broke the pictures of Gideon. Amen. Thank you for Savior, the Savior's broken body that brought forth eternal life. Thank you for a broken Moses that brought forth leadership in Israel. Thank you for a broken Joseph that brought forth unconditional love for all of his brothers. Amen. Boy, I'm glad that broken bread to develop a league or a bond of fellowship between people when we partake of communion, praise God. God breaks us that we might be a channel and a lane of blessings to others, a light to those in darkness, a leader to those that are lost, a love to those who feel rejected, and to teach lessons to those who are curious, who are ignorant about God's care to show the leadership of Christ in our lives and to show the loveliness of the Lord in an ugly world today. God will break us to draw us to himself, some knees being only under the load of a broken heart, and some some eyes are open only after our head is bowed. But the affliction David went through when he went astray opened his eyes to God's truth. And Paul spoke about future ministries that can be developed from our lives when we're broken and when we face severe trials. Amen. I'm glad. He tells us, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforted us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. For as the suffering of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 Verses 3, 4, and 5. You see, the insights that God teaches us in broken times becomes valuable tools in aiding, in comforting, in counseling others in the future who go through the same troubled waters. You see, when God allows extraordinary trials, He gives extraordinary comfort and grace. And many times, the thickest cloud brings the heaviest showers of blessings. Those blessings not only comfort us in our present, but they also comfort others who are burdened and broken in the future when we minister to them. And God breaks us to change us. Brokenness can change the ordinary Christian and prepare him for an extraordinary service and ministry. We don't realize it at the time of tribulation, but there can be treasures in our tragedies. You know, for an example, a Christian lost his home and meal when a flood washed him away and he was crushed. He was discouraged. He was brokenhearted as he just started 
as he just stared out and, and began to look at all of the, the devastation and the ruins of everything, he, he stared in shock and something began to catch his attention out of the corner of his eye from his peripheral vision. In the water of the stream, something glittered. It turned out to be gold that had been uncovered in the flood. The disaster that he thought had made him a beggar had actually made him even more wealthier than he was. You see, the Lord does the same for us too. He works through our troubles to strip away certain cherished possessions to show us the better treasures of his love, the better power, the newer opportunities for glorifying him. Man's disappointments are God's appointments and tragedies are many times blessings in disguise. And as the bread that was broken by the Lord brought blessing, God brings a blessing to us when we are broken by him. And so I thank God, uh, every one of us, uh, uh, from the security and defenses of Jerusalem would be useless against this siege. They would not be able to protect them from the enemy and the city would fall and be defeated and security outside of the Lord, you're insecure. True security is found in the Lord Jesus Christ today and tonight. He's the one that secures our soul for all eternity when we put our faith in him and that tonight is what really matters. That is what really matters. In the frontier days of the settlers and the wagon trains, the settlers would circle the wagons if they were attacked by the Indian warriors, and they circled the wagons that would help provide protection and security. And sometimes it worked, and sometimes it didn't. Sometimes our security is insecure. And have you ever planned or invested in something which assured you that you were safe, that it assured you that you were uh, secure? No more worries, and you felt that you were taken care of for the future. Maybe it was an insurance policy that you purchased. Maybe a home security system. Maybe you got a guard dog. Maybe you got a weapon, a gun. Man, you got a mighty one at that. Maybe you got medical or surgery or a pension plan or a job or uh, some kind of a something in life that really your security turned out to be uh, non-existent. The insurance company... Uh, reneged or the agent canceled the policy without notifying you but continued to take the premium. The home security system, it pooped out and the guard dog got uh, spooked. The pitching plan disappeared because the company went bankrupt. The umbrella that you thought was so dependable leaked and the medicine failed and the surgery did not solve the problem that you thought. Had you ever suffered any disappointments like these and something similar? If so, what did you do? How did you feel? What did you learn? How did you cope? It's no fun to find out the flaws in a circled wagon. But when we do find the flaws, it's too late. And that is why we are to put our confidence and our trust in the Lord. Psalms 118.8. It's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thy heart. Lean not into thy own understanding. In thy, all thy ways acknowledge him. And he shall direct thy paths. And so where's your security? I'm going to tell you. He says, moreover, take thou uh, unto thee an iron pan and set it for a wall of iron between thee and the city. I'm glad that Ezekiel is pray, uh, portraying God himself, who is actually the invisible aggressor of his own people, who are living in sin and is judging them. The invisible attackers are the Babylonian army. And the prophet was instructed by the Lord to take an iron pan, a griddle, and place it between himself and the model of the city of Jerusalem that he was playing war games with. And the iron pan was used to bake flat cakes over an open fire. But now it's used to represent the broken fellowship and the strong barrier of rebellion between God and his sinful people. The pan teaches a number of lessons to us about our sinfulness. Sin separates us from God. And, and so uh, it's sad when Christians become carnal and lives in sin and disobedience grieves the Holy Spirit who indwells them. And when the Spirit of God is grieved, our relationship with the Lord is strained and our hard heart becomes a wall between us and the Lord. And the tenderness, the closeness, the gentleness, and the joy that come from the Lord are missing from our lives when we are rebellious and you can't grow in faith and knowledge of the Lord if you're disobeying Him and living in sin. So how is your relationship with Jesus tonight? Have you cooled off spiritually? Have you lost your first love for the Lord? Hmm. 
Sin changes the purpose of our lives. And the pan was used as an obstacle in the object lesson. It was a symbol of the spiritual wall between God and his people. It was built by the hard hearts of a rebellious people that are out there tonight in America. And it was not to be the purpose of the pan. It was to be productive and useful cooking food. You see, the lesson is the fact that sin changes the purpose of all of our lives. And we're supposed to glorify the Lord with our lives because we belong to Him. And when we drift from the Lord, God's plan and purpose for us goes unfulfilled. We waste our lives on wickedness. We miss out on opportunities to serve the Lord, on blessings from God and His reward. And John warned us in his epistle, he says, look to yourselves that we lose not those things which have we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. You see, God's purpose goes unfulfilled because of the consequences of our sinful uh, uh, nature. New limitations may arise when we get away from God that will hinder us from completing and fulfilling God's will for our lives. Limitations may involve incarceration in prison, injuries from a sinful life, health problems, addictions, financial pressures, debts, consequences of sexual immorality. Sin changes the purpose of our lives, America. David, Solomon, Samson, Demas, Jonah were not fulfilling God's purpose when they rebelled against God and disobeyed Him. Sin is judged by the Lord who works behind the scenes. God uses the enemies of His people to chastise them for their wickedness. He used the Assyrians for this purpose. And I'm going to tell you, each and every one of us, if you read the book of Job, you'll find that it was the Lord who was working behind the scenes on Job's behalf. God pointed His finger at Job and told the devil, try to break him if you can. And the Lord knew that Job would not surrender and Satan would be put in his place by a mere man. Hallelujah. I'm glad there's some men and women out there like that, that God can depend on them. Praise God's holy name. Praise his name. Boy, I, I tell you, in 1934, a young artist by the name of Ward Kimball was working with a young man known as Walt Disney. God, how far Walt Disney has come today. The project they were working on was a very important one. It was the cartoon Snow White. For 240 days, Kimball worked on a four and a half minute sequence which portrayed the dwarves showing their affection for Snow White by making her some soup. Kimball finally completed his work. He was called into the office of Disney and Walt said, I don't know how to tell you this because I love the sequence, but we're going to have to cut it out because it's getting in the way of the story. Ooh, beloved, listen. Listen, church, as we exercise our gifts and abilities in God's kingdom, the goal is to use our gifts in such a way that they complement the picture God is making and never get in the way. And sometimes God has to do some pruning in our lives to make us more like Christ and to accomplish His will. Is He pruning you? And so we saw the siege of Jerusalem, amen, that he talked about, and the symbols of that it paints and what it does for every one of us, amen, that we're going through tonight in verses 1 through 3. But I tell you, when we look and we begin to realize the sign that no one can escape the coming judgment in verses 4 through 8, how that Ezekiel was commanded to lie on the ground at Pacific times during the day facing the model that he constructed of a siege of Jerusalem. Oh, Lord, help us. The shackles of sin, the sureness of judgment that we begin to see, amen, that he tells us about. Ezekiel's life was a living sermon as he acted out, spoke the message that God had given him by the way that we're living our sermons too. Good or bad, your life is preaching something. And so what are others reading about you? I'm glad that uh, some of the most beloved members, amen, uh, that we see every day, Eugene Jenkins would always say, you know, your life is the only Bible that somebody reads. Mark the words of the Apostle Paul uh, that he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 2, ye are our epistle, written in our hearts, known and read of all men. You see, God had another task for Ezekiel to perform. His role changes from representing God, judging his people's sins, to portraying the Jewish nation, bearing the brunt of their wickedness and rebellion. And so the Lord commanded the prophet to lie on his left side for 390 days and then lie on his right side for 40 days in view of the people. He was to do this for a few hours each day for over a year, preaching the same message every day. Boy, I tell you, and they give pastors a hard time. He mostly likely did it with the time of day was busy and many of them were passing by. The fact that he would speak this particular message for 430 days shows us that God does not have a problem with repetition. Mm. 
Praise his name. Each of these days represented one year of the burden of Israel's sins against God Almighty, and they would be punished for their rebellion for those 430 years, 390 for the northern kingdom's punishment, and 40 years for Judah, the southern kingdom. There were many options and opinions about the timetable of these years, and when they occurred, when we look at the starting point of Ezekiel's prophecy, the prophet used Jehoiachin's exile in the year of 597 BC. Scholars believe it would be prudent to use that date for computing the punishment of Israel. 430 years into the future would be the year 167 BC, which happened to be the commencement of the Maccabean Rebellion, where the Jewish people regained their freedom from the Syrian Greeks uh, called the Seleucids, and the Seleucids, under the rule of Antiochus Epiphates, oppressed the Jews and sparked the military victories against them. They looted the Second Temple, killed the Jews and opposed them, forbade the Jews to worship God and circumcision, and they executed anyone who possessed the word or the Torah. Man, you know, it's sad as it goes on. God had a message for his people to understand that trouble was coming to them. So he told Ezekiel to preach it lying down. And while lying down, Ezekiel was to be tied up with ropes and he was to be facing the model of the war game Jerusalem and the war game that he constructed and to prophesy about God's judgment upon the people that was on the horizon and several more principles that were revealed about this sin about the sureness of judgment for sinful living. Boy, I'm going to tell you, each and every one of us, as we go through life today and begin to realize that the binding and the reclining of, of Ezekiel that pictured the fact that sin is something that confines us, captivates us, restricts us, binds us, and immobilizes us. And it's like being uh, uh, stuck in a bush that has briars on it, amen. Boy, I tell you, we need uh, we need uh, to overcome all of this today. Sin is like a bow constrictor looping itself around the center until it crushes the light with its coils and our freedom is robbed by the mental, emotional, spiritual, physical consequences of sinful living. God help our youngins today that they've been, uh, they've been uh, brainwashed, man. Why, man, I'm going to tell you, they've been uh, tricked uh, to believe and change the morals and standards that have been taught in America for years. The diseases, the cancers, the addictions, the financial losses, the trauma, the depression of all the health problems from sinful lifestyle that restricts people's ability to do what they used to do. That's how sin robs you of your freedom and your joy while you're alive. When you look at the life of Samson and the binding effects of his sinfulness, you get the idea, you get the picture, amen. Archibald Rutledge tells the story about the time that he tried to capture and cage a young mockingbird. And on the second day in the cage, the young mockingbird's mother flew to her offspring with food in her bill. This pleased young Rutledge, for surely the mother knew how to feed her child better than he did. The following morning, however, he found his pathetic little captive dead. And when he recounted his the experience to Arthur Wayne, the renowned, um, uh, I guess you'd say, orthonologist, Mr. Wayne explained, a mother mockingbird finding her young in a cage will sometimes take it poison berries. She thinks it's better for the one that she loves to die rather than to live in captivity. And that's a sad story. There's something within the heart of every creature that wants to be free. Freedom is God's. Listen, uh, every one of us as that freedom that God gives every one of us, amen. And, and so, you know, every time that we go through life today, freedom is something that is so powerful. And, and we look at it with uh, not the respect that we should, but there's something within the heart of every creature that wants to be free. Freedom is God's plan for the believer. And through the power of Jesus Christ, he's enabled us to break the shackles of sin. Thank God for his amazing grace and redemption. I'm glad that each and every one of us, as we go through life, that we got to learn uh, the story of how this goes. And so I thank God as we go through life today, each and every one of us begin to realize how powerful uh, things can be. When we look at verses 4 uh, through 8, that is talked about, amen, 
that he tells us. He says, listen, he says, lie also on your left side and lay the iniquity of the house of Israel upon according to the number of the days that you lie on it. You shall bear their iniquity for I've laid on you the years of their iniquity according to the number of the days, 390 days so that you shall bear the iniquity of the house of Israel. And when you have completed them, lie again on the, your right side, then you shall bear the iniquity of the house of Judah 40 days. And I've laid on you a day for each year. Therefore, you shall set your face toward the siege of Jerusalem and your arms shall be uncovered and you shall prophesy against it. And surely I will restrain you so that you cannot turn from one side to another till you have ended the days of your siege. And so I thank God that is how that it takes place uh, as we look and realize uh, that we've talked about the sign of Jerusalem, the four signs of the coming judgment, the sign of Jerusalem being attacked and being besieged in verses one through three, the sign that no one can escape the coming judgment in verses four through eight in verses nine through 17. We see the sign of a terrible suffering that takes place. Amen. And, and so, uh, as, uh, things begin to take place, Odd combinations of food, amen, that he was bound, his arm was to be bared, and he had to eat the meager food that was described there, amen, the symbolic act that told the Jewish exiles why the Lord was allowing the holy city to be ravaged and ruined, amen. The binding of the prophet, the barring of his arm spoke of a future binding of the prisoners uh, and of God's arm in judgment against them. And so we see the seriousness and, uh, of sinful living. Uh, as we look at verse 9 down to verse 13, and while Ezekiel preached in a reclining position, bound by ropes, he was instructed by the Lord to make some bread. And when he arose from preaching, God told him the ingredients uh, to use and how much to eat each day. He was to eat approximately eight ounces, the weight of 20 shekels of this bread each day and drink a sixth part of a hen, which was about 20 ounces of water. This was not very much at all. Why was it so little? A famine was coming, and terrible conditions were coming to Jerusalem. Cakes from the recipe, they're coming to America as well. Cakes from this recipe were to be baked with human dung as the fuel for the fire because conditions in the future would be very dire. Jerusalem would be under a siege. The, the human dung would defile the bread that was made and those that ate it. Baking this bread was to be done in the sight of the people. Why did the Lord want the prophet to do this? There were several reasons that he was trying to teach them about the effects of rebellion against God and what was in their future, amen. The desperation that would be caused by sin, amen. They would have to eat a starvation diet and ration food and water. The situation in Jerusalem will become serious. And so according to history, conditions were awful in Jerusalem that was surrounded for 18 months in January of 588 BC. Nebuchadnezzar surrounded the city and plagues broke out. The people resorted to cannibalism and Jeremiah warned that this would happen in Jeremiah 19.9. And so uh, we see the demands of sin. They would be forced to eat food cooked with human dung, making the food unclean. Sin can get you into a situation where you're forced to do something that you don't want to do. And some people are so bound and addicted in sin that they're forced to steal, kill, lie, prostitute themselves. Others have become intimidated and mastered by a carnal crowd of people that they run with day by day. We see all of these things. They would be forced to survive uh, by filthy means is what we're talking about. Filth, a common place they were dealing with and uh, what we're dealing with in our own nation uh, tonight. Filth is common in America as we butcher our babies and uh, as people are still trying to unturn, unturn of the vote of Roe versus Wade right now still to this day that they can't stand it, amen. They sell their body parts. They get more upset about a dead lion killed in Africa than aborted babies are martyred by uh, and, and martyred Christians in, a, in the world in third countries. It makes me sick at my stomach. The filth and the perversity of homosexuality and adultery and fornication and polygamy that are on our televisions and realistic television today are becoming the norm in America, dragging Americans deeper into the dreads of depravity. And I've read that those that have mixed these ingredients and that they cooked the cakes that stated that the bread tasted terrible. I'm going to tell you, the family dog sniffed it, turned from it. The, the, to eat the, the same food every day would be boring. 
And that's the way sin affects our lives in America tonight. It may start out exciting, but in time, it's going to be dull. It's going to be dreary. His pleasures are only for a season, according to the writer of Hebrews, amen. In Hebrews eleven twenty five, the thrill of sin does not last long for this season. Greater thrills of salt that which drag a person down into greater depths of depravity, discouragement, and depression. Food and water that, uh, that, uh, that's used to be abundant, uh, that were plenteous, but the judgment of God against their sin depleted their blessings. Wake up, America. Because that is the way sin works. You get what you want, but you end up losing what you have. Sin will rob you of your peace of mind. It will rob you of your health, your money, and your friends. It does not give. It takes. Samson was a man who got what he wanted, but he lost what he had. He lost his strength, his sight, his freedom, and his life. And sinful living is like pouring your life and dreams into a bag that is full of holes, and it leaves you empty. Boy, I'm going to tell you. Every one of us. John Berryman was a poet that had achieved a Pulitzer Prize for his work. He had fame. He had friends. He had followers because of his great achievements and success. But on a day in January of 1972, he walked across a bridge in Minnesota, waved to a stranger, and leaped to his death into the Mississippi River. Why would he do such a thing? He left a note behind answering the question. He said, at 55, half-famous and effective. I, I still feel rotten about myself. Beloved, listen, Christian, if a person does not know the Lord or if he does not rely upon the Lord for strength and help, he has nothing to hold him up. His life becomes like a bag of holes. Boy, it's sad that we look and realize that the Bible tells us in verse 9, Take thou also unto thee wheat and barley and beans and lentils and millet and finches and put them in one vessel and make them bread down according to the number of the days that thou shalt lie upon thy side. 390 days shall thou eat thereof as I read earlier. I'm going to tell you, each and every one of us as we go and try to do the very best, God instructed his equal to eat a diet for this amount of time. Now, as we look and realize that as we get closer and closer uh, down, because all of our sinful acts of immorality, sin will cause God's hand of judgment to fall upon us. And when we choose to walk in unbelief by denying, boy, I'm going to tell you, we begin to realize that uh, as he tells us these things, the Bible says in verse 15, Then he said to me, See, I am giving you cow dung instead of human waste, and you shall prepare your bread over it. Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, surely I will cut off the supply of bread in Jerusalem. They shall eat by weight and with anxiety and sh shall drink water by measure and with dread that they may lack bread and water and be dismayed with one another and waste away because of their iniquity. It's sad that that's exactly what's happening to America right now. Our sinful acts, our immorality, our lawlessness, our violence, our anger, our hatred, and there's political parties that stir up when there was unity that they ain't happy till they stir up racism and every kind of division in the world where they can divide every kind of nature, whether they can divide uh, you by your political party, your religious party, your national, your racist party, uh, whatever kind of, of division that the devil can use these people, they are full of the devil and darker than sin. And so lastly, as I come to verse uh, chapter 5, and doing it very quickly to try to get through my time because I'm just about out of time. The four clear signs uh, of God's coming judgment. Amen. Uh, the sign of Jerusalem being attacked and besieged in verses 1 through 3 of chapter 4. The sign that no one can escape the coming judgment in verses 4 through 8. And verses 9 through 17, the terrible sign of suffering that was there that tries to make sin. The last thing in verses 1 through 17 is the sign of utter devastation. In verses 1 through 4, there's a shave and a haircut. And then there's a declaration from that. Someone's cooking in the kitchen, literally. And God begins to take responsibility. There were many cities in the world, but no one knows how many towns and cities there are. Which one is the most important? The Russians are going to say Moscow. The Americans are going to say Washington, D.C. or New York City. The Japanese may say Tokyo. But what has the creator of the universe said? What is the most important city in the world, according to God? Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the bullseye of planet earth. And you, son of man, take a sharp sword, take it as a barber's razor, and pass it over your head and your beard, and then take scales to weigh and divide the hair. You shall burn 
with fire one-third in the midst of the city when the days of the siege are finished. And then you shall take one-third and strike around it with a sword, and one-third you shall scatter in the wind. I will draw out a sword after them. In verse 3, you shall also take a small number of them and bind them in the edge of your garment, and then take some of them again and throw them into the midst of the fire and burn them in the fire. And from there, a fire will go out into all the house of Israel. In verse 5, this says the Lord God, this is Jerusalem. I have set her in the midst of the nations and the countries all around her. Did you hear what I'm saying? She has rebelled against my uh, judgments by doing wickedness more than the nations and against my statutes more than the countries that are all around her. For they have refused my judgments and they have not walked in my statutes. And therefore, thus says the Lord, God, because you have multiplied disobedience more than the nations that are all around you and have not walked in my statutes, nor kept my judgments, nor even done according to the judgments of the nations that are all around you. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, indeed, I and even I am against you and will execute judgments on your uh, uh, on your midst in the sight of the nations. And I will do among you what I have never done and the like of which I will never do again because of all your abominations. Therefore, Father, shall eat their sons in your midst and sons shall eat their fathers and I will execute judgments among you and all of you will remain and I will scatter to all uh, the winds. Man. I'm going to tell you that's, that's powerful. He goes on, he says, Therefore as I live, saith the Lord God, surely because you have defiled my sanctuary with all of your detestable things and with all of your abominations, therefore I will also diminish you. My eye will not spare, nor will I have any pity. Um, one third of you shall die of the pestilence and be consumed with famine in your midst, and one third shall fall by the sword all around you, and I will scatter another third to all the winds, and I will draw out a sword after them. In verse 13, Thus shall my anger be spent, and I will cause my fury to rest upon them, and I will be avenged. And they shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken it in my zeal when I have spoken my fury upon them. Moreover, in verse 14, I will make you a waste and a reproach upon the nations that are all around you in the sight of all who pass by. So it shall be a reproach, a taunt, a lesson, and an astonishment to the nations that are all around you. And when I execute judgments among you in anger, in fury, in furious rebukes, I, the Lord, have spoken. In verse 16, when I send against them the terrible arrows of famine, which shall be for destruction, which I will send to destroy you, I will increase the famine upon you and cut off your supply of bread. Verse 17, lastly, so I will send against you famine, wild beasts, and they will bereave you. Pestilence and blood shall pass through you, and I will bring the sword against you. I, the Lord, have spoken. Boy, I'm going to tell you, yeah, Jerusalem is the most important. And so we look and we begin to realize that the prophecy uh, that was fulfilled, uh, each and every one of us, the siege of Jerusalem was a catastrophe. Man, I'm going to tell you, when the, uh, the, it was destroyed, the prophecy was fulfilled in 70 AD when the Romans under the command of the general Titus attacked Jerusalem. The defenses of the city, the temple were uh, uh, phenomenal because the walls were five stories high and very thick. And General Titus believed Rome could not conquer Jerusalem unless God delivered the city into his hands. And the walls of the temple were incredible 30 stories high. The Jewish historian Josephus revealed that the people defending Jerusalem had access to unlimited water supplies and abundant grain reserves within the city. And yet, these advantages did not spare the Jews or the temple from God's hand of chastisement and the fulfillment of God's word. The Jewish defenders would not surrender to the Romans and the battle raged. Titus ordered that the temple not be destroyed. Titus' plan was to starve out the city. He pressed the siege of Jerusalem, which was crowded with people because of the Passover festivities by cutting off the water and the food supply. Two or three million people were within the walls of Jerusalem, and the besiege was a terrible hard press by tactics, insufficient things that begin to go uh, a catastrophe beyond imagination. In the five-month siege, 1.2 million Jews died. The millions of people that were crammed within the walls had quickly depleted food reserves. 600,000 people starved to death in the streets, 347,000 in other places. 
And according to Josephus, the famine was so great that the mother actually ate the flesh of her own small son. Bodies were thrown over the walls at a rate of 4,000 per day. The stench and flies were unbearable. The remaining Jews that did not escape the future, 97,000 were carried into captivity. And many of those were taken to Rome for wild beasts in the Colosseum. And when Jerusalem was breached, the Roman soldiers were so angry with the Jews that they threw torches into the temple, setting it ablaze. Josephus saw General Titus beating back his soldiers with his sword in front of the holy place in an attempt to save the Holy of Holies, but his efforts were in vain. And when Titus saw that the flames had reached the inner sanctuary, he fell to his knees. He cried out, as God is my witness, this was not done by my order. You know, these Roman soldiers and General Titus were being used of God to fulfill two key prophecies in Scripture. 600 years earlier, the prophet Daniel prophesied the temple's destruction in Daniel 9, 26, amen. Will we direct our attention to these points? Every one of us today... I'm going to tell you, the Roman soldiers that were responsible for the devastation of the temple, not their leader, but the prince. The prince that shall come refers to the prince of the emperor of Rome that would, uh, his attention. Uh, Nero was still the emperor in Rome at the beginning of this war, and he gave two simple commands, destroy Jerusalem, level the temple. And after the death of Nero, General Galba was recalled to Rome to be the next emperor. His enemies conspired against him. And they assassinated him. And after Galba, Ortho was made emperor. He was incapable of ruling and committed suicide. Vespian was called to become the emperor after a brief time of instability. He made his son Titus a general. And when Titus began the Jewish war in the beginning, he was not considered royalty. Boy, all of these things that begin to take place. But General Titus, a prince, when the temple was destroyed in 70 AD, God's word was fulfilled exactly as it was prophesied. And the second prophecy was fulfilled by the Roman soldiers in the temple's destruction. This was given by our Lord Jesus Christ in Luke chapter 19, verses 40 and 41. And when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it, saying, If thou hast known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. For the day shall come upon thee, that thy enemies shall cast a stench about thee, and compass thee round, and keep thee on every side, and shall lay thee even with the ground, and thy children within thee, and they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another, because thou knowest Knewest not the time of thy visitation. The fire caused the overlaid gold in the temple's construction to melt and seep into the cracks of the stone. And the road, uh, the Roman soldiers took the temple apart, stone by stone with crowbars and wedges in their search for that gold. Boy, Jerusalem had its trials, but to be elevated and glorified one day about above every city on earth, God will establish his throne in Jerusalem, according to Isaiah chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. And so, as we get ready to close out, God instructed Israel to shave his hair in his head. In the ancient world, it was a sign of humiliation, disgrace, mourning, and sorrow. And I'm glad that each and every one of us, as he cut his beard and his hair using a sword as a barber's razor, uh, he, he burned one-third of the hair in a fire on the brick that represented the siege of Jerusalem in verses 1 and 2 uh, in chapter 4. And so... But Ezekiel separated the hair in three ways, according to verse 2 of chapter 5. One-third was burned to symbolize those soon to perish in the destruction of the city. One-third was hacked with a sword to represent civilians soon to perish in battle. And one-third was scattered in the wind to represent soldiers who would be dispersed among the nations. Every one of us, as we look and realize that the people had worshipped false gods and idols, and they had rejected the true and the living God. Amen. And so the people defiled God's temple by worshiping false gods. And so as everything began to take place, God has a very specific purpose for executing judgment. And I'm going to tell you, each and every one of us is coming to America even more as we speak. Because I thank God as uh, each and every one of us uh, get ready for the latter days of coming until the the day of final judgment, God's purpose in executing just, justice upon any people will be to arouse them to turn to him for mercy that they might know him personally as their Lord. Amen. And so I thank God in verses 14 through 17, uh, we begin to see 
uh, that the prophet describes God's judgment to the people who were watching the dramatic portrayal of those four signs that we talked about. The people would suffer ruin and be a reproach among all nations in verse 14. They would be mocked down through the centuries and stand as a warning of God's judgment of wicked behavior in verse 15. The Lord emphasized all of these things of the certainty of judgment. I, the Lord, have spoken. The Lord himself uh, that guarantees that he will judge the wicked, amen, by cutting off the food supplies, the famine, the more famine, the wild beasts, the death of children, mothers being left childless, disease and plague, and by war, sword and bloodshed. God will execute judgment against the wicked of the earth, and his judgment will be as Ezekiel pictured in these four signs, severe and justified. God's patient with wicked behavior will end. His justice will be executed. And although God's purpose for creating mankind was redemptive, if people reject the forgiveness he offers through his son, Jesus Christ, they will doom themselves. If people choose to live a life separated from God in this world, they will continue to live separated from him in the next world. Committing wickedness throughout life will cause a person to live with all other wickedness in the next life, rebellion against God and cursing his name and eventually arouse our Lord to take vengeance because vengeance belongs to him, God's holy word. Father, thank you that you have made all of us a new creation in Christ and all things of the past are far behind because you've made all things new. That means that the old in our lives have passed away. Lord, we don't have to be chained any longer to the old mindsets and old attitudes or old ways of doing things that don't work. I don't have to be held back by old limitations. Help America, help People's Valley to remember that we're a new creation in every way and we live like it. Help us to remember that you, that we see, uh, that we may see uh, through and see the future with you and not through a past of wickedness. Therefore, Father, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. Old things have passed away. And behold, old, all things have become new. Amen.